Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode is with Daniel Saleh. Yeah, really, uh, we've been trying to get uh, Daniel, I've been trying to get Daniel on the show for a while because we're back and forth and kind of doing things. But obviously now in the lockdown, you get a chance to corner people and you get them on the show and he, he kind of confesses that he listens to the show. Who does that? Confesses that he's something of a kind of a fan who's waiting to come on the show. That's great. And it, I think it really comes across in what, what, what we talk about and stuff. This is nearly like two hours long, this whole conversation, which is superb. But it's great because you can start to really, um, you can start to really kind of get into an entire person's kind of life and really, really kind of find out who they are and what they're, what they're, they're talking about and stuff. I think it's really interesting. I always like the long form podcasts where people talk for a long period of time because you get past all the, the superficial stuff and really get deep and involved. And Daniel's a really uh, an interesting person. He's a great guitar player, great musician as well, really kind of really wants to do the best he can and wants to perform the best he can and, and write the best stuff and constantly looking at his playing. And that's why it makes such a great teacher as well. The uh, the feedback so far from the last couple of shows, again, been really, really great. And I encourage you to completely, always completely be sending anything, any ideas and uh, you want anything you think about the show, just stuff you like, stuff you didn't like, things you, you hated, things you loved, any kind of suggestions for things that we should do in the show. And they all get taken on board. And most of the suggestions, if not all the suggestions, were really positive and great. So I'm going to start to bring some of those ideas in as well. I did the first live show, I suppose, if you want to see it that way, as a Facebook live thing. It was littered with uh, technical difficulties and problems of all kinds. But that's the way these things work. The first times we I was doing the podcast, it was littered with, with mic problems and stuff like that. And hopefully you're seeing things improve, and they will improve, and the, the live show on Facebook Live will also improve as well. It was interesting that I got a message through when I was at kind of a point where I was thinking maybe I shouldn't do the Facebook Live thing, where someone was saying that, that it was important for them to to listen to that show, if you will, because they didn't get to see many of their friends or, or socialize much, and it felt it kind of answered a, a part of the, what they needed. They're having a show where I kind of babbled on about nonsense for for an hour and a half or whatever. So if, I, you always forget, don't you? You always forget you're not just playing for you; you're playing for someone else. You might be the thing you might be doing might be important to 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 other people in different ways, and they may realize that they can do things as well. You may be inspiring people. And I don't think I'm I'm this kind of inspirational figure at all, but I'm thinking that you know some people are listening to this and getting something from it, and that's all I ever wanted it to be: get something from it, enjoy it, yeah, maybe break up the day somewhat. And this one with with Daniel is a really good example. This is a great conversation. It's certainly one of my favourite episodes I've done. And what's interesting is this is episode eighty three. We're really only seventeen episodes away. If you want to see it from a hundred episodes, which is spectacular, I've never really thought I'd get past five or six, but here we are. And this is all thanks to you and the people listen to it. If no one listened to this, I wouldn't do it. It's as simple as that, but the listenership is growing. And I just encourage everybody to share this with other people if they think that that, that may enjoy the show. Because some people who are friends go, what, you've got a podcast? Still don't know that I do this. So it's really, uh, really important that you suggest this to other people and, and tag other people in this as well. But let's get on. Let's get straight into what you came for. And this is a conversation with Daniel Sally. So I'm speaking to 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 my friend Daniel Daniel Sally. Um, those of you the uh, amongst the community of guitar players to 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 listen to the show will know uh, Daniel being uh, a, a fantastic guitar player uh, in in and of itself. But it's uh, there's a whole other st- load of stuff we need to get into with Daniel. I've known Daniel a long long time. Uh, been in and around the scene a long long time with Daniel. There's a, there's a ton of stuff we've got to get through. So ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Sally, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. I've been uh, I've been looking forward to this because I have 
have listened to the shows and you know a, a good few friends of mine have been on um like obviously craig was on who just yeah the guitar wizard that is craig isn't it isn't it mad like the, the craig's like he, he doesn't think he's playing that great and he doesn't like play in front of people i'm like if i could play like you i'd be fucking 24 hour live stream replaying i'd I be think, playing all the time i think with craig as well you know you're you never quite know what the video is going to be. So, you, but you know, you, the one thing you do know is that you're going to feel a bit sick after watching it because it's fucking right. So, yeah, he scares so a lot good. of up and coming guitar players. Yeah, yeah, he's he's just um. Yeah, I, I, the conversation we had on the pod was all about kind of. I was like, afterwards when we finished up, I was like, you need to start posting more videos. And he was like, oh well, I, I don't know what the quality of it'll be like. And I said, just just keep posting them and get better as you as you get on because. What happens when you see a good guitar player is you do, you get that sinking feeling where you're like, fuck, I'm not as good as that, or I'm never going to be as good as that. And you, you kind of go away and you go, you know what, I'm gonna, I'll try that. I'll, I can do that little section at the beginning, or I can do that uh, that tapping bit that he did, and you pick apart it, and eventually you go, oh, do you know what, this, it's, it's, it's doable, this. And you start playing a little bit, and then you go back and you watch, you know, someone else, and you go, and, you, and the circle continues. But it does help you, I believe, make you a better guitar player watching insanely good guitar players like I like Craig. I think that's why like because obviously when when I made the um Liverpool guitar collective group like the main reason for doing that was because I, I just knew so many good guitar players like Phil Dyer, yeah. Jack Gardner, yeah um, I mean Tim Cunningham, you know there's just so many and so many mm. from like different areas as well. Like Charlie McEwen's a guy on the group. He's yeah. like a wizard with like acoustic guitar. Like all open tunings and this kind of thing. So, and I think like as it's grown, you know, we've got like about a hundred and um, hundred and seventy-seven members now, and like it's great because like most days there's just yeah. And it's a, what, what's what's interesting things. about the guitar collective, and I'll put some links on the on the pod as well. Is it's a really positive group, isn't it? Is, <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it weird? I, I think I think though, like um, Liverpool's a bit incestuous in the music scene so like everyone kind of knows someone from like somewhere so like you know like Liam Ako in the group I I've never really like met properly in person but I feel like I feel like he's one of my best mates yeah you know? and then and then me and um this guy in there called Joe Sullivan who's like a wicked guitar player and um, like two weeks ago I think it was I think it was around the time that Craig did his podcast we realized that there was a gig that we'd done I mean this is like this might even be around Hollow Point era where yeah. John Carden was with them. Yeah. I think that might be that far back, but me, Joe Sullivan and Phil Dyer all played on this gig. And we didn't even know. You didn't even know. Yeah, because it was like, Did you play that gig? And it was like Yeah, they did. And I was like, oh, how mental is it that like, you know, fast forward like, you know, fifteen, sixteen years and we're just part of like this guitar group that just posts like shreddy videos and stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, you so. say you say that, but you there's also like some wonderful stuff where we, uh, especially yourself, just share like musical compositions. You were sharing some some tabbed stuff and some music yeah. stuff, and people would have a go. And it's one of the things that kind of puts people off, but certainly when they start like kind of going down the black hole and looking at, at guitar sites and forums and obviously, is that it's it might be the most toxic part of the internet guitar forums aren't they maybe it's, gaming uh, forums are on there but certainly guitar forums are fucking brutal they're brutal like and, and it just I, seems I, so different i think the thing i that the, the bands my adult is when you see like um 
it it's that age old thing. Like if someone posts a Malmsteen video, you'll get someone who's like, Oh, he's fast, he has no fucking feel and all this kind of yeah. the flip side of the coin is someone will post like a Hendrix video and people will be like, Oh, he just plays the same stuff and like you know, we've all been there definitely. Like if I go if I go back back when I was fifty fifteen. Yeah. I would have been fucking horrible. Like, I, <laughs> if it wasn't, if it wasn't like metal and like you know, because I was really into yeah. bands like the Capitated and like you know, just yeah. proper nasty, gnarly kind of stuff. I think anything else, I would have just been like, nah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the the good thing with the group, I think, is uh, there's a lot of banter. It, it seems like a a safe space for guitarists. It is. It, is. it, t- yeah. it, it totally is. Yeah. I think like, what, what that's like, it goes against the grain of what, what's out there, you know, because like you say, one of the things we touched on, on the podcast with Craig was the, there's the YouTube community as well with guitar players where people put up their playing. And, oh. and for the most part, even if it's brilliant, it gets torn apart and you're just like, well, you what the get, fuck? You get arguments that aren't even anything to do with the video. You only have to scroll down yeah. five comments. But I think I think as well, like um, you know, with the with the guitar group, I just made it like literally because I thought if if like if I can get this guy connected with like mm. this guy, and if I can just get these guys, like you know, I don't even know why I'm saying me like I'm some fucking thing, but like I just knew so <laughs> many players. Oh, yeah. But I just knew so many players who I thought if they were in one space, because mm. you know, I'm, I've got mates who are guitarists, and like you know, I'm not gonna like say names, but they don't put themselves out there enough, you mm. know. And, mm. like, I've had endless conversations where I've been like, dude, just post some yes. videos. Yeah. You know, because yeah. if people saw you play, they, they, they'd eat it up, you know? Yeah, so they'd love it. I'm hoping, like, you know, as, as the group progresses, I'm hoping more and more people. So more and more people now are definitely posting stuff. Um, mm. There's definitely like a core, I think, that I kind of post quite a lot. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, I always make an effort to comment on this, like, every post as well, if mm. I can. Just because... Yeah. Guitar's like the best thing in the world to me. Agree. Yeah, yeah. It's the only thing I ever wanted to do. Yeah, I just wanted to play. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, uh, yeah, it's one of those just, it's like you say, I think the the right way to explain it is a safe space. I think it's a safe space. It's a really good community against the grain of what is maybe out there from a guitar playing community. Uh, But I think, let's go back a little bit here then. So let's talk about the first time you kind of hear music and you hear guitar music when's when's that become a thing in your life so i always i always knew well i can't say i always knew it's a three don't really know fuck all but like <laughs> i i look back and at the age of like three three four i started kind of like going through my mum and dad's cassette they had these like these drawers that were full of cassettes mm-hmm. like uh kind of like a cd wrapper for cassettes yeah. and i remember just going through and like you know i'd pick out the ones that like looked cool and i'd be mm. like oh that looks kind of cool and the first two albums that like changed me life and i added a young age where queen greatest <coughs> hits two. okay yeah like with the black border and the red changing. square yeah yeah yeah. uh I, I, could, I could like i reckon i could probably list the track list and fairly accurately you know and then yeah. uh, crossroad by bon jovi Okay, uh, so that's like that's uh, that's post haircuts, John Bon Jovi, oh, isn't it? It's a, it's like a greatest hits. Is it? All oh, right, I think they did that before they did the the other thing where he cause he, he cut his hair, didn't he? And there was a big because like, someone like cut a, the hair. Old woman, didn't he? Yeah, he looked like the <laughs> classic Karen, didn't he? Um, and yeah, then he yeah, and, yeah, 
So Crossroads was, was that, so that was a collection, was it? Okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's tough. That like because that's not like just albums. That's two best ofs, pretty big artists with a big well, clutch of songs. I think, I think what it was was up until that point. Like, dude, I'm not gonna lie. I can remember sitting there watching S Club Seven Miami and thinking, <laughs> "This is amazing," you know. <laughs> And that was that was later on, but I still I still liked like rock music a lot. My dad's favorite band, Iron Maiden. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and them they, they, they to me, uh, Dave Murray is the reason that I play guitar. You know, yeah, doesn't get doesn't get a lot of uh, a lot of well, he does get respect, but he doesn't get maybe as much of a shout. Dave Murray as as he as he maybe should do. He's uh, he obviously in uh, Bruce's and Steve's shadow a little bit. You know, with them being the main star. But I think he, he, I think he steers the band really well. I, I watched a documentary uh, where they were talking. Bruce was saying that a lot of the time they'll, 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 they'll be like, "What does what's Dave think?" Do you know what I mean? And he'll quietly yeah. go, "No, we're not doing that." Or and you get the feeling he's made maybe a little bit of the conscience of the band, like you know, I, well, what, a always, what a player, what a player. I always remember my dad had um, <clears throat> like a it was like a DVD. It was like very the very first like kind of DVDs, you know. It was like a compilation of like Iron Maiden live yeah. clips, and I always remember there's a there's. A... It was the it was an Iron Maiden kind of yeah. So it was, an I, I, it was like a DVD montage of like Iron Maiden live videos. Right. I, I always remember there's Hallowed Be Thy Name, and I remember okay. there's a bit in the song where he only goes <laughs> and like Dave Murray's like he's got fucking dead long like blonde hair and he's got like that yeah. skinny blue like jumpsuit looking thing on yeah he's got his like foot up on the monitor yeah and like just that because that was the just, image just, uh, just that like bend in my brain i was like i yeah. just want to be dave muddy and i think that's the reason i love strats man i'm such a strat guy yeah like, he's, and he always has been a strat guy hasn't he as well dave i don't think i've ever seen him yeah. with anything else acoustically and stuff i don't think i've seen him there's a few photos of him with a Les Paul. Oh, oh, right, okay. And uh, I, yeah. think, I think they used Ibanez Roadsters as well um, for, like, a, a limited period of time. But, like, yeah. uh, aside from, I mean, Adrian's the one who's always kind of used, like, other stuff. You know, yeah, he's got, I think he's got a signature, hasn't he? Uh, he's got Jackson. a couple of signatures. Yeah, Jackson, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really... What do you think about it as well? But imagine being the guitar player in Iron Maiden. There's three of you. Yeah, imagine that for the last 25. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have, Coop, for, for the last fucking 20 years. But it's what a fucking tough job. That's a tough job. There's a lot of guitar real estate there going on, isn't it? You, that must be, you know, that must be, I remember when I, when I first, Iron Maiden for me was Power Slave and, and that kind of era. And, and then to some degree, kind of fell in and out of love with them around like somewhere in time and then it was kind of like uh, live after death and stuff was really kind of big for oh, me amazing it, album. And it, it, from a guitar point of view i never saw as crazy as this is going to sound i never saw i made as necessarily a guitar band even though there's it's guitar all over the place in the solos i was always they were the song guys like they they really you know, beautifully crafted songs like it just happened to be have good guitar playing in and, but I, I, now I'm thinking about it. One of the first things I learned was uh, "Phantom of the Opera." That's uh, one of my favourite songs. Yeah, and that's a, that's a guitar song. instrumental. It was a fucking. It was, and I, I heard that first because of the Lucas Aid ad that it was on. It was oh, I, I, didn't even, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow. So basically, um, 
it, yeah. it's dead simple. It's just uh, some guy at the at the the, the, the bricks thing to get off. It's like and he just runs. And then just as he crosses the line, it's like, oh yeah, and it's like Lucas A, drink this and get out of shit. I love every era of Maiden. I even love Blaze Bailey. I like I just yeah. I, the, there's the one album that I that I thought was a bit shit was um Virtual X, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, yeah I think every band's got that slightly weird but, album that's the that's that, definitely there's like I feel, I feel blaze gets such a hard time though because like you know, does he yeah 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 and like i i you know you listen to the x factor and like songs like sign of the cross and that's a fucking tune yeah he, like, he, the man can sing he really can he, he does his own his solo stuff now and he, he tours the world still off the back of that. he's a fantastic singer you know i think i think the issue is with blaze bailey i think Blaze Bailey could never do Bruce's parts where Bruce could yeah. do Blaze's parts. I think that was the... That's, yeah, that's a fair thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where... To be fair, I think with Paul Diano as well, like, to me, I, I listen to Early Maiden and, like, half of it sounds like punk. Well, you know, if, you, if you look at Paul, like, it's just for those listening that maybe aren't as familiar with Iron Maiden, Paul was the original singer when they were going around, like, pubs and stuff, and then... And 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 Bruce was in Wolf Spain and then got got you know got got essentially poached and put and put into there was with the band for a long time and then there was a little bit of a falling out and Blaze came in and then and then and now we're back to Bruce. But Paul, if you look at original sort of pictures of Paul, he wears kind of leather and stuff, but it, it does yeah. lean more to the punk side of things, like the Halford type of stuff. It leans more I, to I was, that. I, I, I was literally just thinking he looks like Rob Halford's hench younger brother, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's. <laughs> Paul, what do you like? You think about he's massive, but th- that's the thing as well is that you know, I, for me, I, I I I lean towards Priest more than I do Maiden. For me, the two are, are very much along the same lines: album cover, artwork, that type of thing, guitar lineup, quality of songs. But I lay, I leaned for for me. Where's yours was Dave Murray. Mine was like Glenn Tipton and KK Downing. So the picture yeah, of yeah. KK Downing on live Priest live. With him, with that, um, with that, uh, I think it was a Hamer um, V, yeah. and I was just like, that was, that's what to me, I was like, that's what a fucking rock star looked like, and that was only superseded. That was only superseded when I watched the Guitar Expo from Seville, and Vi comes out with the uh, the gem, the DMC gem with the green thingy, and then I switched to a wanted to look like that. That was what I switched to. I think, like, you know. I think the first guitar player, like guitarist. I think that was kind of that I really got into was Malmsteen. I think yeah. Vi's Vi always someone who like I've never got. I mean, yeah. there's an appreciation there because the, the yeah. unbelievably good, you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think, yeah. You know, I had lessons with a uh, like Neil Mellow was one of the first teachers I ever had, and I remember yeah. sitting in his house and he played me a, a song called Magic Mirror. Yeah. I just remember the guitar solo just fucking tore me head off. I was like, yeah. And I think Malmsteen was the first guitar player where I listened to him and went, "Holy shit! Like that's how good you can get." Yeah. Because it was just like it was just yeah. aggression. I remember hearing hearing, hearing trilogy and and it, and it's to me someone someone said it to me and it was stuck uh, every time I th- thought about it was the his playing was like a water coming out of a jug. It was just that smooth. And that effortless and that beautiful, and and a lot of the times, um, 
people will listen to Malmsteen. Malmsteen, I think he gets a really, he probably gets a rough, rough time with it because of, I'm led to believe he can be a bit of an arsehole. Um, I, think, I definitely I, think there's some truth to that. <laughs> I know a couple of people who've been in and around tours with him on and stuff, so I know he can be. But do you know what? We all can be a little bit of an arsehole. That that can happen. But I, I can't feel what are you expecting from him that the guys walking around with like four Rolexes on? Yeah, and driving Ferraris. <laughs> yeah. Like, what did you? What do you expect? He's gonna. <laughs> you know, yeah. He's obviously got like you know. But you know, you ego. think you think to yourself, you know, his hero was Richie Blackmore. Yeah. And Richie Blackmore's crazy. He's, he's crazy. Yeah. Richie Blackmore's crazy. You know, and and he's he was seen as being a bit of an egotist as well. You know, when he was was with 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 Deep Purple, he was seen as being an egotist as well. So the, and everybody surrounding you telling you you're God. It's pro- isn't it funny though? Time I think has been very cl- very sort of kind to Malmsteen because he started off being king of the shredders and everybody going yeah, but he's he's he's, he's still the fastest best guy out there, whatever. Then he kind of fell out of love and, and fuck knows what he was doing during the early 90s then. Uh, do you know what I mean? Was, I think he was making his own albums because honestly, the guy's like... Uh, he's, I think the last few albums he's done, he's like self-produced himself and he sounds awful. <laughs> I just I just wish he'd go to a fucking studio and get like a really good like engineer to and do it. And it's only now, it's only now though that he's kind of almost come back into favour a little bit because of all the bedroom guitar players and, yeah. and, and people like, uh, you, you know, uh, Toshi and stuff and, and Animal Leaders and that type of thing. They've kind of, they always give him a bit of a name check. Because they're like, well, you know, he was he, he kind of started some of the very technical playing, you know. Well, those those players like in Platerian and stuff, but I think with Malmsteen, you know, like everyone just wanted to be like Van Halen until Malmsteen came out. And then, yeah, yeah. And I also think there's a there's the the, uh, the G3 Denver DVD. It's Satriani Vi yeah. and Malmsteen, and they do it. They do rocking in the free world. So they go through the song, you know, like everyone's kind yeah. of, like, and then they have like a solo at the end. And the, yeah. and the best thing is that like, you can just, Vian, Vian, uh, Satriani are so in sync. You can, yeah, like, they, yeah. They just like they've known each other so long, and yeah. And, and anyway, a Malmsteen just blisters through this solo. Like, <laughs> no, no consideration for the fact that it's like a fucking Neil Young song. He just absolutely <laughs> melts, and you can get, you can go on YouTube and hear it. Yeah, and then, and then when Vi comes in afterwards, it's all just a bit like, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, that's that's the thing, it. isn't it? Yeah, it's it, it, it's we. I, I, if if we can give any props to Malmsteen, if there are people out there that don't like him, that's cool. But the one thing you cannot deny is, I know when I'm hearing Bingway. I, I, I'll know when I'm hearing him. He's got he's undeniable. Yeah. Oh, what he sounds like he, and all that diminished classical stuff and Brilliant you know Brazilian, yeah, yeah, all that stuff is. It's 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 definitely him. If anything, he's found his voice. That's the thing that gets leveled at the the current crop of guitar players, doesn't it? Is that yes, they're very technically proficient, but there's the they, they haven't got their own voice. Well, that gets yeah, leveled a lot, doesn't it? That's one of the again going back to this thing where people talk about Malmsteen and they go, you know, he's got no feel, and it's like, you know, playing aggressively is emotive playing in its own right, mm. and I think. You listen to a lot of guitar players. There's loads of guitar players out there who are unbelievably technically good, mm. but musically, to me at least, it's it's a bit redundant, you know. Yeah. And I I, I don't put Malmsteen in that bracket, 
I'm biased because I like Malmsteen, but yeah. I think like you know, if you listen to a song like uh, like Blitzkrieg, like mm-hmm. when he goes into the solo, it's so fast, but he's like he's picking so hard. Well, he's probably mm-hmm. not, but it sounds like he's picking really hard because he's on a strat, yeah. you know. Yeah. And Every time I hear it, makes my face just go like, oh, so like, <laughs> it's so yeah. aggressive, you know. Yeah. I, I love that, and I think, you know, you go on like like Guitar Universe is a big page on Facebook, and like the amount of times I have seen people go, oh, Malmsteen's overrated, and I think, oh, how how can anybody say that? Like, <laughs> he's been he's been the one of the top guitarists of the last 30, 40 years. Yeah, I think it, yeah. I think when when history looks back at, at him like hundred odd years or whatever, he will be seen as being an important guitar player. He just oh, he just absolutely. will, he just absolutely. will be. And I think that you know, yeah, I think that's what gets leveled, isn't it? Like the, it's like oh, it's too many notes or this or whatever it may be. But sometimes technique can be an effect as well. If you oh, do yeah. a, a, a huge run as a crescendo to the end of something, it's a massive build-up. They can do it in an orchestral thing, and there's like, you know, 70 instruments playing it. It complicates yeah. stuff. That doesn't get leveled as being, well, there's loads of notes. There's too many too many instruments. There's too many clarinets. What the fuck? Shut the fuck up. It's like, it just, the musical swell of it works. So to enjoy it for, for what it is, you know. I, I often... The, the price you pay for a free society is listening to a load of bedroom guitar players chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many, how many bedroom guitar projects are going to come from this lockdown, though, eh? How many albums are going to come from this? And there's probably going to be some good stuff, but there's going to be a lot of shit. There's going to be a lot of shit. I think, you know, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to um, Vanessa, the girl that I'm in a band with the other day, and I said, I don't think I've practiced this much in... Yeah. In years, because obviously you know, working as a musician, gigging every weekend, teaching like I don't, I never really had a lot of time to sit and like dedicate to practicing because I have other hobbies other than guitar as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like this lockdown, yeah, I really ignited that kind of flame again. I think, and yeah. um, to the point where you know I'm at, you know, I, I have time, so I'm sat there for like five hours just working on different things yeah. but it, it, it felt nice it felt organic i mean it's a shame that it's in such awful circumstances but um you've got to make the most of it haven't you you know yeah well it's it's like um you know the, the people obviously the situation is, is is awful and we want it to pass and and it, it means a lot of stuff to the industry especially to a working musician like yourself but if we could take some positives it's meant people have gone back and kind of looked at their playing, gone back and kind of where this, what, how their setup is and all that type of thing. They've looked at how they work with their fans and interact with their fans. And now we're getting live streams with famous musicians who break down songs and equipment and recording techniques and what have you. And it's very, it's almost as, it's almost like a personal phone call with them where they're kind of in front of the camera live going, okay, ask me a question, you know, what pedal did you use on this? And, that's a really great thing. I don't. I hope we don't lose that. That when we come out of this and everything's like, okay, the curtain comes up again, and 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 we don't see that closed world. You know, I hope that it continues. I, I was watching Vi last night doing his things, and he's talking for like two hours about ear training and and um, you know and kind of mental sort of outlooks about approaching stuff. And I was like, you ne- you'd never be able to get this if this didn't yeah. happen. It's locked down. You'd never get that access. You know, imagine if if Malmsteen now was doing two hours talking through how he breaking down Blitzkrieg and how he plays it and what he does, you'd be absolutely enamored. You'd be, you, you know, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be glued. 
I've been watching uh, Richie Faulkner, you know, from Judas Priest. Like, yes, yeah. Such a good guitar player. Like, he, yeah. a lot, a lot of, he does a lot of kind of like just playthroughs of songs and stuff. And he's like, he's such a riff-oriented guitar player. Yeah, yeah. Like, everything he plays just sounds so good. Like, you know, when he's running through yeah. like priest riffs and stuff, it's like, yeah. he doesn't sound like someone sat in their bedroom playing priest riffs. It just sounds... Yeah. It sounds real, you know, it's like... He oh. was such a good choice for, for, for Priest. I mean, you can imagine, like, Priest, have, especially in the last couple of years, have had some real mad stuff. Like, in many ways, Parallel Maiden um, with Blaze is that they got um, Ripper Owens in when they had the falling out with, with yeah. Rob and, and Ripper comes in and does, you know, does does some stuff with him and they get Rob back and it's a big love and everything's great. And then fucking KK gets pissed off and essentially <laughs> retires. And then poor Glenn is is sidelined you know as well and and you think straight away you're getting richie in as well i, I knew richie before he joined the kind, the kind of priest and he's always been the guy who's the safe pair of hands you know great player on all fronts from a solo point of view songwriting riffing everything he's a very complete player um you know and i thought that that was just a it's just a really good move to get him in and um like he's adopted the whole ethos. He's an, he isn't a hired gun. He's he's a totally adopted the whole ethos of joining that band. And he like to like he probably posts about that band more than the band themselves do. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's he was the perfect choice for them. And then seeing him live, um, and watching him play some of the older stuff, like stuff like the Sentinel, um, you know what I mean, which is one of my favorite priest songs. And and closing your eyes, and you're like, that's a pretty good fucking attempt that is uh, that song you know and then he gets like a signature guitar as well and stuff and and then like it function? gets cheap, made cheaper the thing i, I do like about the signature guitar is that he actually plays it it's yeah, not like uh, it's there's no bullshit like where you know he's got a signature, signature guitar but the one he's using on stage is yeah. like pimped out and like he says that quite often in his live streams he, he's like what's the point of me having a signature guitar, signature guitar Exactly, like the 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 backlash we're talking about, kind of toxicity in in, in the guitar community. The backlash that faced Vi when he launched his next the next gem. Well, it's not a gem; it's called the beer. With the two, with the two holes, and there was a fucking lot of people kicking off about that. There was a ton of people kicking off that it was like, oh, it looks awful and this that and the other. But what was interesting is that it's still as much as it's it's the guitar he does now use he's still fitted uh the fernandez sustainer to it but that doesn't come stock and it's always bothered me about about like um uh signature guitars is that for me it should be exactly what that guy plays on stage exactly if you want to get that it should be exactly that if you you from a nuts and bolts point of view if you want to put your different strings on and run it through different amps and stuff that's that's fine but a signature guitar for me should be exactly what that guitar guy plays I otherwise think, what's the point i think when it gets complicated like you know if you look at paul gilbert because paul gilbert's got the fireman guitar yes and, like, yeah yeah you know he's got like so many different variations of it, you know with like mm. single coils or you know humbuckers single coil single coil and then he's got like one with yeah. like mini humbuckers in it and, yeah you know i imagine like putting that signature signature guitar it's kind of like which which, which one is it going to be because you know when i saw paul gilbert live last year it was the first time I've seen him live, and he was, like, unbelievably good. Like, he, he medleyed Scarified with While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And I was like, <laughs> you know, you're just watching someone, you're like, I would think to do that, yeah, yeah. How have, you, how have you blended those two songs together? But, you know, um, 
I agree. I, I don't think I've ever. I mean, I had a, a recently sold uh, a Jeff Bloomer's signature. Okay. That was a really good. That was a really good guitar, and I think that's pretty mm. close to what he uses as well. And yeah, Jeff's best, best guitar I ever. Well, when I say ever bought me first good guitar my parents ever got me, like. Um, <laughs> was an Ibanez Iceman. I was obsessed. I have, a, yeah, I have an Iceman right over there right now, and I love it a bit. I was obsessed with a System of a Down. Absolutely. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, Darren Malakian, and I saw, like, um, Curly's had one, and I remember yeah. I remember going home and begging me dad. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, do, love it. I'll, do, I'll do any chores, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll do really good in school, which, I'm, which, you know, I was a naughty kid, but, you know. I was like, I'll behave, you know. Um, and like, I remember, like, you know, when, when I was in the institution back in the day, that was the guitar that I just fucking wrote everything on. And like, I still have it. Yeah. And like, I could never sell it, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's shit. And it's absolutely yeah. battered. But that was, that was, he was my first guitar hero, I think. Oh, outside okay. of Brian May, you know. But I think yeah. Darren was like, because um, I remember, like, in the days of tab books, people don't seem to use tab books anymore. I remember Curly Music had um, the tab book for the first System of a Down album. Right. And, and Toxicity. Yeah. I, rem- I remember buying both those tab books and just going home with my Iceman and my shitty Line 6 amp and just sitting there for <laughs> hours and it's hours. Yeah. And th- that's how I learned to play metal, playing System of a Down tunes. Yeah. That, that was my, like, that was my, um, what's the word, kind of, catalyst into kind yeah, of yeah. guitar player people forget how how much of a, a a surprise is probably the worst word for it but how much a surprise system of a down were when they came on the oh. scene when sugar came out people were laughing at how how just ridiculously different it was i was just like how, where are these rhythms coming from how are these rhythms allowed in metal and and you know as this is before toxicity kind of blew up and you know when you get chop suey and stuff kind of blowing up from that but it was such a surprise because he's armenian isn't he i believe yeah, and like was, American, yeah and so there was there was all these kind of weird almost folkish sorts of rhythms yeah. getting played with and like tunings and stuff and yeah and what? then serge is is singing not about like love and cars and stuff like that he's singing about you know political situations yeah. and uh, and, and the was... american judicial system you know and you're I like, I was, a bit, I was a bit young for the, because I, I can't remember what year the first album came. I think it's like 90, uh, 90 I don't know what year that first System of a Down came out. Late to 90s, I think, yeah. I think Almost Toxicity so. was the first album. I remember listening to that album. Yeah. I reckon that was the first album I ever heard, but I was like, wow, there isn't a bad song on this album. Yeah, like that, yeah. that album's just powerful all the way through. And then I worked backwards and heard the first album, I, I prefer Toxicity if you were to put me on the spot, but I think mm. the first album's got something a bit more raw to it. Um, yeah. But then... It feels I more, ex- not experimental, but it feels more like they were, it, it, it was a bit wider, that one, before they kind of polarised it a little yeah. bit of what their sound was. Is you can do, Sugar, for me, is the, I, that's my favourite song by them. Um, and Pluck, Pluck, P-L-U-C-K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just love that. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 and you're like you're like these just don't sound like any other band exactly yeah it was laughable it was laughable how how different they were my introduction to the Iceman was from jay in white zombie 
So White Zombie, Jay has that uh, that green eye, uh, uh, Ibanez Iceman with the stars on it, and I was like, what the fuck is that? That doesn't yeah. look like a guitar. And he's playing like green guitars, man. That's he's playing like Thud the Kiss 65, and I'm like, I, 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 and I'm just like, what the fuck is this? So that's why I, I picked up one, and I, I, mine's quite an old one, but I only ever use it now for, for heavy stuff. I find it really lends itself to heavy riffing, like it really yeah, fucking, it's like it's yeah. like a big spanner. It's like a big wrench. If it, if it doesn't feel like a delicate instrument at all. Mine was gigs to death as well. Yeah. Well, let's let's of. let's talk about that. So your you you pick up was to the the Iceman was that your first guitar? No, my oh my god, my first ever electric guitar was a PV Raptor, and it was PV Raptor fucking awful. Fuck, I don't even know that. I've got a pretty good knowledge of that. It looks. I don't it looks that like way. if you uh, it looks like if you got a Stratocaster and then squashed it it looks like a deformed stratocaster but okay even little things like you know the pickups didn't sit in it properly (laughs) like the intonation was dreadful but basically my best mate jay um jay chow he's an amazing photographer um he had one so basically i'm 10 years old right okay and i I just my mum and dad had just moved to to chill and there was a girl on the street and her mum's best friend's son was Jay Chow, right? Anyway, he had a red PV Raptor. Okay. And, like, I'd always wanted to play guitar, and I looked at him, like, oh, I'm so jealous. So I got a black one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we both had these awful, awful guitars. <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember, I mean, you know Joe Mariangi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Joe, Joe's also one of my best mates when we were in school. Um, at the first inclination of the institution that would later obviously go on to be like the band that i was in um i remember writing the first song i ever wrote was a song called best served cold and i, I listened <laughs> back to it and i can still remember the riff <laughs> yeah because <laughs> obviously i was trying to write in like drop tuning because obviously okay. system of down in drop tuning and that was like yeah. i was probably playing more in drop tuning than I was in standard tuning, you know. Because oh, yeah. um, do you mean like drop D or do you mean go down yeah, to C? Oh, okay. Drop yeah. D, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Drop C was what system played in, so to me that was yeah. like, that, was, that was God tuning. Yeah, know? yeah, was, that was the right way to tune your guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> I, ne- I never gigged with that guitar just because it was. <laughs> it was. So, I mean, I wish I still had it. I mean, it kind of got lost. Yeah, in, yeah, like, yeah. Got lost in transition somewhere, but yeah, the Iceman that was the next like, one. Oh, that was because that's like a proper guitar, right? That's like a. Uh, it's got. It's properly set up. It's well, everything I, good. Well, I always remember <laughs> Kelly's had. Um, Kelly's had an Ibanez flying V in. There yeah. wasn't. That wasn't around for that long because I think ESP sued them. Yeah, the yeah. But I remember Kelly's had one of them, and I was like, I want that guitar. And I remember going in, and I was so tunnel vision. I was like, I want that flying V. And then I saw the ice one, and I was like, Jesus. Oh shit. You know, so yeah. yeah, and then obviously that was the guitar that I really started like playing in bands with. You know, that, was, yeah. that became my main guitar for probably ten years. You know, I think what I, what what tends to happen with guitar players is they first find the guitar that works for them, or at least you know does the, does the job for them, and then it kind of spider webs out. So then you kind of find the right amp that works for you, and yeah. then the pedals and stuff that work for it, and you kind of. But it always starts with the guitar. My first guitar, which is over there, is a was a Les Paul copy, and it it, it was awful, and it, it was totally awful. Intonation, pickups, everything was was shite. 
And it was only over like 10, 20 years of touring and teching and stuff. I went back to the guitar a couple of years ago and fixed it, everything. Yeah. The intonation, the level of the frets, all the stuff I'd learned, the shielding inside the electronics and all that type of thing. And it plays like a pro guitar now. And it's just interesting that, like, you know, it's it's what you make of it. You know, it's it, once you once you find a guitar that works for you, and a piece of advice for people buying their first guitar, if I could suggest one, is don't necessarily go for something that you like the look of or someone you know plays. Play everything. Play, pick them off yeah. the wall. Play the thing that works for you rather than what you think it looks like. That's, what, that's definitely one thing as a teacher as well, like, you know, the amount of the amount of students I get who turn up and they've like their parents have bought them a guitar from fucking Argos. Like if I <laughs> if I if I could say if I could save one child an Argos guitar through this podcast, yeah, my life's work is done because any advice that I would give to parents is never go with that never go with that mentality of uh they might not play it in a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the shit guitar they're definitely not gonna play in a year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of our listeners here from other countries and certainly the states, Argos is essentially like a catalog sort of based thing where you, it kind of sells everything and you go in and you, yeah, it's like Walmart or something like that, kind of like that in a Sears type of thing. So as most like of our US friends and listeners who will buy a, a Sears guitar and those old shitty Sears acoustics they used to sell the plastic guitars that have suddenly become in vogue as well now. I, Argos do them. I have a friend whose pa- uh, parents bought their house in a Sears catalogue. That's what the fuck? I'm, I'm it's like page 47, joking. houses. I'm not, I'm not even joking. She was like, yeah, my, my parents picked our house out of a Sears catalogue, and I was just like, what the fuck? Only in America. Could you Jesus. Can, can people confirm that? Oh, some of our American friends comment oh, when, when I put the show out there. You can buy a house on and Sears? That's fucking... In- it's both amazing because it's like the height of capitalism. It's it's yeah. amazing, but it's also fucking awful. You should go to a guitar shop, and there are plenty of local guitar shops in dire need of your business, and go and try. Take them off the wall. They let you take them off the wall and play these guitars. A lot of the guitars that I thought would work out for me, um, I've ended up maybe going slightly to the side of what I was really like. You know, I used to go, like, when I was a kid, used to, like, put a lot of... Uh, you know, very metal and inverted commas guitars, and then eventually I ended up ended up on uh, in the Ibanez Jackson sort of world. That's the super yeah, strat yeah. kind of worked for me. So when you were first like sort of plunking around on guitar and you writing, when did it move to writing and playing with other people? Well, um, I started playing guitar properly when I was eleven. So like I had <laughs> lessons in school. I'd wanted to play beforehand, but like mm. it, just, it just hadn't like you know come to fruition. So mm. I did classical guitar when I was about 10, 11. Yeah. And then basically um, when I was in year seven, um, Joe Mariangi was in my class in school. And basically what the band that would come to be the institution started off as just five guys in, in class. So yeah. Matt Jewell, um, I don't know if you know Matt Jewell. I know Matt, yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, again, you know, one of my core best friends. I remember one day we were chilling and he had a guitar because his dad's a great guitar player, um, Alan. And um, he was playing the solo from When I Come Around by Green Day. Yeah. And I, remember going, I remember being so jealous, mate. I was like, because <laughs> like, 
at that point in my life, that was the fucking best thing I've ever heard. Because it's only, um, I remember rightly, that's like, it's single notes. It's basically uh, it's, an extension it's, it's of so the melody, easy. isn't it? But yeah. honestly, when I, when I heard them play it, it was like magic. You know? <laughs> so anyway, so, you know, I went home, learned it. And then basically, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, one of the the main reasons that we got a band going was, was actually the band Obsolete with um, yes. back in the day. Because Alex um, and Woody were in Bluecoat, the school that I was in. Mm. And they used to, like, play guitar during, like, lunch breaks and stuff. So, yeah. you know, I'd be, like, I'd be that dickhead, like, year seven kid, you know, peeking my head around the door, like, oh, can I listen to what, what you're doing, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and basically, like, Alex Holborn was actually one of the first people I saw play guitar, and I thought he was fucking amazing, you know? Because he is. And then, <laughs> and then, well, then, basically, from that, it became, yeah. well, let's get a band going, because mm. we all, like, metal, you know? We all kind of, like, I mean, Joe was destined to be a metal singer. Wasn't he just, so, like, you, you know, know, wasn't he just? And then from... From from that point, you know, we, we um, Matt's dad is a vicar, and he used to like be the vicar for a church in Hellwood. So like, we just used like directory to like rehearse, you yeah, know, yeah. this metal band playing. It was so fucking like, you know, that's <laughs> surreal that you're in a church. Surreal, you know, we'd look that, back, yeah. but um, yeah. So we basically just through a love of like music, and, you know, we, we had we, yeah. we still to this day have such a great core friendship. Mm. We just started. I think we started by playing covers, like System of a Down covers. Yeah. Like we did, um, we did Sugar, you know. Yeah. That was that was because yeah, it was like no eight seven six, no eight seven six. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. straightforward, yeah. yeah. It's pretty straightforward, and then I'll be honest, we just got better. And, yeah. And I'll be honest, at, like, at one point, you know, I thought we were really good, you know. Um, yeah. Songwriting became much better, and then you mm. know. It got heavier and heavier and heavier. You know, the bands yeah. we were listening to started to get heavier and heavier. And mm. I think, I think for me, I think um, one thing that I'll always have with me as a guitar player is the rhythm hand. You know, that's always been kind of a strong right. asset. Yeah. And that literally is just from trying to play System of a Down songs, Slipknot yeah. songs. Because yeah. that first Slipknot album, that was my favorite album probably mm. for the entire noughties. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. got me that album. <laughs> It, it was yeah it was so, so important that that album like you so kind of oh, it, it just kind of broke through and no one was you know you, it, there were so many things that you were like what the fuck there was like what there's how many members in the band there's Nine, what there's yeah. a dj there's well, you know it's hey, there's a non- also, and it's that, like on, on that self-titled album there's a song called frail limb nursery that's yeah. not on every version of the no the it's album. yeah 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 and, and that, i remember like you know, when I'd walk home, listen to the album, if it was, like, even remotely dark, I'd skip that track. I'd be like, fuck, I'm not listening to this. It's terrifying. Because you know, people, people, people forget that around that time, uh, and the time of new metal, because it was kind of a, around then, the, the, when it was great and when it was good, like Korn's first album and stuff like that, when it was great, it was really, really good. Really good. People just go, oh, new metal, it was all shit. And they just remember the, the shitter side of it, you know, the, the, the kind of wannabe bands that kind of started up. But when it was good, and the whole kind of scene from that, I mean, Slipknot's first album, when that came out, it blew the doors off. People didn't know what to fucking do. They were like, like I say, there was there was loads of people in the band. They had a DJ. There was two guitar players. They were playing insanely detuned and down. The, the, the production's shocking as well. Like, Joey Jordan, it sounds like he's playing on a load of the pots. And that's Ross Robinson as well. Like, you know, Ross yeah, Robinson, yeah. it's like, you know, he's um, a producer du jour. You know, he's done, he did corn as well. 
and you know a lot of people liken him to almost like a, a more metal Rick Rubin, you know, Ross. And but he, I think, what kind of foreshadowed Ross is he was known for for putting his people through the mill, like so he made you know he'd make singers scream until the vo- vocal cords broke, and you know, really push people to the limits and stuff. And and I don't know if you necessarily totally have to do that to get those things out. But well, he, he, I think on those first two albums on the self-titled one in Iowa, he was really big on no guitar solos. That was like one of yeah. the main things. He was like, yeah. no solos. And to be honest, like, you know, you listen to the first album in Iowa and like, I, I went for a run this mm. morning and I was listening to Iowa this morning and like, I'm like air drumming as I'm running because yeah. I'm like, just, they were such a groove oriented band yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, like there's a certain um, there's a certain drum beat where it's like a double snare, and every time I hear that in any other band other than Slipknot, I go, "That's that Slipknot drum beat." That's Joey stuff. That's yeah, Joey like 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 whenever you hear double bass of any kind, fast played, you think of Lombardo, and you go, you know, go you go kind of, you think like that's probably a little bit of him there, you know that the, it's it's I get that all the time. Joey Joey is a sidebar when um, when when Metallica did the download thing and, and Lars Ulrich definitely didn't do uh, too much coke and couldn't do the show. And the adult drummers come on, and dude, when Joey was playing Metallica songs, it was like they were new. It was like it was like Metallica remastered, and he, yeah, and he was just fucking furious. And he was like, "Fucking hell!" And Lombardo played there as well, like, and he was just kind of give this new sheen. But I remember when I think Wait and Bleed was my first introduction to them, and I saw them visually before I heard them on the album. But it was like that as well, masks and boiler suits and stuff, and I'm like. Every facet of what they were doing, every facet, visually, uh, you know, everything was being pushed, was being, seemed like it was being pushed. And that was what was exciting because we were coming from a time where people were saying, well, that's it now. There's nothing good coming out of metal. You've had the, you've had the 80s now. Everybody's playing. That's as good as it's going to get now. And then this band come along and stuff in, in the early 90s and just take the doors off where they're like, where, where everything was being questioned, every level. I did read somewhere that um, apparently, like, for a while, Slipknot couldn't play in like Cleveland because Mushroom Head. Apparently, apparently yeah. there's like an overlap of where you know Mushroom Head claimed that like Slipknot stole some of their yeah. ideas and all that kind of shit. But yeah. I think with Slipknot, they were that band. They were so big that even Scallies knew who they were. Yeah, like, yeah. Scallies would go, to, yeah. oh, do you listen to Slipknot?" Do you? And you're like, "Yeah, we do actually." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. They were very quick to, I think, as, a, as another sidebar, but with, with Slipknot, very rarely, if you get a four-piece, three-piece, five-piece band, very rarely do you get it where every single one of the musicians is really, really good. There's always someone who isn't as good. The bassist might not be that good. The singer might not be as good as the Everybody's kind of at different levels. And it's okay. That's cool. That's, that's what happens. But with the knot, it seemed to be every single person was at the top of the game or or at least did exactly what they needed to all their parts were covered. If you listen to individually the, the parts of what, what's going on, everybody's fucking on. Everybody's on. It's one of those magic moments. Like Rage Against the Machine's first album. Everybody oh, everybody's on. Yeah. Oh. Everybody's just doing exactly the right thing and it comes together. And that's how you make classic albums. That's exactly how it happens, you know. I think that that's another album to me with yeah. a bad track on it. Like it's at all. So good. Like, and, and I the think, production of it as well, I think, for the first album, but, you know, uh, it's still fucking amazing. I, I don't think anything else they did was as good as that album, but I, I think for that album, you know, that to me is kind of like the, the same bands that have certain albums where you just go, 
fuck, like like Hybrid Theory is another one. Yeah. Like an absolute masterpiece from yeah. start to finish. Yeah. And I think even even if you're not a Lincoln Park fan, like I like in the end, like I know that song is kind of like the poppy song on the album. Yeah. That's like a fucking amazing song. You know, yeah. like and that album still stands the test of time to me because I, mm. I remember being ten years old and me me dad obviously had noticed that I was listening to rock music and stuff. So I think he'd like give me Nana cheeky album on the Buying these two albums and, and literally the two albums we nan bought me with Slipknot's self titled album, The Hybrid Theory. And I remember I remember looking at them and I'd never heard either band. Wow. I, I was completely going in like yeah. blank, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I put um, Slipknot, the Slipknot album on. I remember this because we had a really shit CD player. It was right. like. <laughs> you know one of those, you know one of those like plastic ones where like the button breaks, so you have to like get a knife to open like, the lid to put your CD yeah. in. Yes, I um, am. <laughs> I remember like obviously the start of the um, the self-titled albums got that the whole, the whole thing. I think that's it. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. I remember, I remember going like, what? What's what's me? I bought me here, you know And then literally, and I was just like, oh my god, you know, it was it was like literally. Cody Taylor had walked in my room and booted me in the face. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what, what he wanted. Yeah. And I remember listening to the album. I can vividly remember. I can remember the emotion of kind of like, I love this, but it makes me feel a little uneasy. It was like right. so like different from everything I'd ever yeah, heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Maiden, amazing band, love yeah. it a bit. But there's, there's nothing particularly dark about them, even when yeah. they do darker themed music. Yeah. It's still got that sprinkle of maidenism on it. Yeah, it yeah. Like, you know, well, Slipknot felt dangerous. Oh, it, it felt, felt dangerous. Shit out me. Yeah, yeah, like we sh- should be listening to it. Me, yeah. yeah, and that was yeah. that's all. That's what you look for. You, you look for the edges of the map musically. I certainly do, and I find that the most exciting stuff is often is often there. So for me, I got to see the institution live on a number of occasions because um, I have a, a, a crazy memory, but. I would say at one point they were they were one of the the best metal bands in Liverpool. You know, I mean, that's the yeah. truth. And I don't think I think a lot of people would also agree with that. I think I think we were you know the in the right place at the right time. And I think you know I think if circumstances were different, you know, I think we mm. could have gone on to you know be bigger and tour, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, but. I, I just think at the time we were doing something a little different, you know. The, we, yeah. we were by far the heaviest band on the scene at the time. Yeah, you know, because like you know, bands like Surprise Connection, who like you know, amazing band, but they were nowhere near as like heavy as we were. And yeah. I think, I think the main thing was that you always knew there was going to be some kind of fucking madness. You know yeah. what I mean? Because live, yeah. For me, for me, I always remember that. Uh, what was it? One of one of the, what's one of the songs called? Slaying the Manticore. Slaying the Manticore. Yeah. That was. That, I think that was my favorite song. Like there you go. And um, but I always remember two things. I remember it being really heavy. I remember watching you playing it on a bill with a couple of other bands and being noticeably heavy. And I was like, whoa, this is fucking heavier than everything that else is anybody's doing. And Joe just being. Oh, just having yeah. what a what a voice you know and well, i've got to get joe on the on the show ladies and gentlemen because he's he's super nice um super in nice. between songs <laughs> but when he's on 
He's the fucking end of the world. He's Dude, fantastic. We, we, we did a gig in the bar. Like, so basically, when we were, when we were gigging, the, the one thing when you came to like an institution gig was you knew there were going to be pits and you knew there yeah. would be fucking carnage on stage. Yeah, so yeah. Joe's, Joe's thing was like, he used to come up to you and he used to wrap the mic cord around your neck. He did it to me on a number of occasions. Yeah. yeah. And there was one gig in the bar fly, right, where I was in a fucking foul mood. Like, just, <laughs> I don't know, I think I, I think I'd have an argument with me dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, and Joe's, like, got this mic wrapped around my neck. And I, it, to be fair, I was at the point where I was like, I cannot fucking breathe. And um, I think I just put my guitar down and walked off. When I <laughs> went outside the bar fly, I had a yeah. ciggy because, you know, I was, like, fucking 16 and all smoking before. <laughs> went back inside. Got back on stage just as if nothing had happened. And I remember, I remember getting off stage and Joe just ripping me a fucking new one. Just like, you know, it's part of the gig. And he was right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think... Yeah. Um, oh, can I? You're only 16. No shit. Come on. Do you know what, though? We, we took it super seriously. I mean, yeah. I, I say that. We took the music seriously. Yes. We were, we were definitely like... Um, I remember we got... Uh, I don't know if I can even like share the story really, but we were in the do you remember the powerhouse gigs? <laughs> yeah. Like the Holborn I put on, they were amazing, man. I remember we thought it would be a good idea to to take a piss in the kettle <laughs> and, and boil it, and it was it was the <laughs> looking back, it was such a bad idea because the entire top floor of the barfly just stank like piss, and like. <laughs> That that was basically like the kind of band we were when we were on stage. Yeah. We were super serious. We took the writing seriously, and you know, yeah. we every gig was fucking yeah, percent off yeah. stage. And you know, yeah. in, in school, for example, me and Joe weren't allowed to be in the same class. It's troublemakers, man. Yeah, but but but, it, the, but, but, the, it, it, but Joe's whole was, thing was was is that was that he was going to be undeniable, and I'll I'll definitely get him on the show. I've talked to him as well. He's he's since become like an. Uh, a, 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 you know, an opener of bars and stuff. He's doing fucking amazing stuff. I don't really who'd have thought that, but I definitely get him on the show. But he was, he was undeniable. If you might not like the, like the band, you might not be into it, but you were gonna watch them for the for the for, for the period of that set. You were gonna watch Joe. Joe was gonna if he if you weren't looking at him or at the band or watching what was going on, Joe would get your attention. Whatever that fucking talk, he would get that attention. Was, I, I used to love that. I used to think it was the best thing. I, Great front man. I always, I always remember on our album launch, we um, 2008, I think it was, and like you know the queue was like fucking all the way down Seal Street. So it was like yeah. honestly one of the best feelings, you know, yeah. humbling feeling. Like, but I always remember at the end of the so basically Joe stage dived into the crowd. Actually, no, I'm yeah. not, was it the was it the barfly? No, it might have been the Zanzibar, actually. Okay. A different gig. But either way, you know, um, you know, rest in peace, Tony, as well. I'm not a legend, but... Um, yeah, uh, most definitely. I remember we'd fucking sold the bar fly out, Zanzibar out to the point where, like, they wouldn't let anyone else in, right? Yeah. And I always remember, I can't remember what song it was, but there was this girl, like, she was tiny, right at the front. Must have been about 15. No, she was probably younger, maybe, like, 14, 15. Yeah. And we were about 17 at the time. And I always remember Joe stage diving and just planting his <laughs> straight in her face, taking her out. And I, and, and you know, you know where you're kind of like rocking out, but you're looking and you're kind of like, oh, oh no. shit, like, what's happened? And yeah. I remember the gig. She came up at the end of the gig, and her face was just her nose had gone basically. Oh shit! And so she was like, she was yes. like, she was like, yeah, I got, 
got kneed in the face by Joe from the institution. Oh, and, we're, and we're just stood there just like, this is like mental. You know, did, you get, did you get moments when you when you were playing live where you were like, I remember not being able to play the guitar, learning, seeing my heroes, and now I'm on stage doing that thing. Did you make that connection between playing and and you go, actually, I can do this now. You know, I think with the institution, like because I was in a band with like it wasn't a band of like randomers. It was like me four best mates. Yeah. You know I mean? So, and I think. I got, I mean, you know, ego definitely kicks in. You, you, you can't be in a metal band and not have an ego. Yeah, it's got to be an animal. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, as long as you don't walk around in, like, everyday life like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, was, there was a certain aspect when we were on stage of, like, you know, we'd want to outdo each other in terms of, like, who could fucking rock out the most. And, yeah. then, you know, I definitely, I think on the album, when we did the album launch and, like, you know, sold the bar players, I do remember stood there thinking, like, this is crazy that... This, that we've managed to make this journey and you know you know when people sing your songs that's like an amazing feeling yeah. you know we used to have a song called um for the faith and there used to be this bit where like it'd like, be like a breakdown it was kind of like a pre-death quarry kind of breakdown and there'd be this bit where it'd stop and joe would go fucking judge me and like i remember at the bar like the whole crowd did it and I was, like, me hear someone and now just talking about it. I just yeah. remember thinking, like, fuck, you know, it was, yeah. it, was, it was a good time. And, then, you know, we were super lucky, man. We were, at one point, I'd say the best band in the scene. But also, we got to play with so many good bands. Mm. So, Prowski Connection, Hollow Point. Um, my mind's gone fucking blank now. They're, like, the two that stand <laughs> out for me, you know. I mean... Yeah. What became Rain May Fall? I thought they were a great band as well. Yeah, um, I saw you a couple of times with Metro as well. Metro Manora oh, as well. Yeah. Do you know? I, I here's a great story. So Paul, <laughs> Paul McBride or Saul Godson, whatever. Yeah, whatever he wants to call it. The legend that is. I mean, by the yeah. way, little side note: he is the fastest walker he will ever. <laughs> like trying to keep up with him when he's walking through town is like. I walk. I walk. It's unbelievable. But um, I remember. He was in blue coat <laughs> and we were in year seven and dude, I think he got expelled for doing this like amazing prank. And basically he, he him and a few friends like broke the fire alarm. So right. we all, we all go out onto the yard and I don't know how they done this, but they had like, they basically on the side of the gym, they basically had a wall length kind of uh, like poster basically yeah. of the head of the head boy Bowman the assistant head and and so basically when when, when all the kids are on the, on the yard they, they basically let this like massive poster just slide down the wall wow and i remember and then we just started egging everybody because they were hiding in the graveyard next to the playground Jesus. Oh, that, that yeah that'll get you expelled that yeah oh, but that, that was my first introduction to paul but but metro were uh metro yeah. were unbelievably good yes. so different as well you know like yeah. i didn't even know how do you even describe what they are? Uh, yeah, it, well, you know, this it's it, I, I, Saul's been on the show. Um, you know, he's a good friend. Um, he, I said to him, I said, he, I don't know if you realise how ahead of your time you, you you were when you were on the scene. You massively. I, I, think they, ahead of time. I think they were a mix of massively ahead of the time and massively in the past because like yeah, yeah. they had they had so many prog elements in there. Yeah, yeah, like, and then and then just kind of. Do you know what's weird? This basically sounded to me if Rush were like heavier. 
and weirder. And yeah, maybe. Yeah, it always seemed to me like it, there was a, a Beatles thing there as well, mixed with a, a psychedelia type of stuff. But then with this weird sort of yeah, progressive rock's probably a good shout. Yeah, that's probably amazing. But it was the, people like them and and Brassneck as well that who played played a couple of shows as well. You know, you just think there was this great scene. So I suppose the obvious question is, what happened then with the institution then? Because you, you're selling out the bar fly and stuff, things just seem to work. What kind of what kind of happened? Well, you know, we what once we done the album launch, you know, once we got to like eighteen, it kind of like became like well, you know. It was getting very expensive because you know things like booking agents and all this kind of thing. Mm. And I think a lot, I think all of us want, well, you know, most of us wanted to go to uni and like right. actually, I think it was kind of important for us to kind of make sure we had a kind of plan B, which, yeah. which in a way I think dilutes plan A. You know, um, yeah, you but, can't necessarily have both. Yeah, but it also got to the point where I just think I just think it had run its course. You know. Mm. It I seemed think. like to organically finish. It didn't seem like it was yeah. it was no, a full out. It was just like, okay, it seems right. To, that's kind of where it ends yeah, there. It seems fairly organic. Because, you know, like, I think, you know, we'd, I think we'd done everything that we were going to do, you know, mm-hmm. and I think, I mean, don't get me wrong, when, when, when the band broke up, I remember being so depressed for, like, yeah. for ages. Just, you know because um, obviously you know it'd been like it'd been like a massive part of my life for like mm. it's fucking hell like eight years like, I yeah, don't know yeah, how, long, yeah. how long it was but you know I look back now and I think it was all growth you know Joe went on to obviously now he's singing in Oceanus yeah I've gone down a completely different road but mm. it's I, I, I think the scene died as well though, I think you know, so yeah. I think that's a valid thing yeah I think it kind of started to move on to something else whatever that it may was, be it was it was also you know towards the latter end I remember a lot of people a lot of people became in inverted commas promoters yeah. and there was just a lot of gigs put on where no one was turning up and I feel like it kind of killed the scene mm. a bit. and then obviously you know I think with like the kind of rise of deathcore mm. I think because, you know, in, in my opinion, I think that early 2000s mm. was the golden age of, like, metal. You know what I mean? It was, like, right. that new wave of American heavy metal, you know. You, yeah. You just had so many good bands. Kills with Gen Lamb of God, As I Lay yeah. Dying, On Earth, God forbid. I mean, you could literally arch enemy in flames. Yeah. You could reel. This you know, comes this comes up a lot on some of the, on some of the shows that um, people talk about kind of, like, you know, the the start of metal with, with Sabbath and stuff like that, when it became heavier with thrash and, and the start of Judas Priest kind of beginnings with that, then Slayer and then moving through the new wave of British heavy metal and then into the big four. And then we, we, as we move forward, people forget that there, there was also another wave as well of the fruit that came birthed from Pantera and, and stuff like that and kind of born from that. You get, you, you get to sort of like yeah. your Lamb of Gods, and that type of thing, and, and, and that whole thing. And there was a wonderful second sort of period as well, almost a second wave of, of, of heavy metal, if you will, but this time from an American side, like, you know. Well, I, I think, I think you know, for me, in my little tiny fucking room in Toffee, <laughs> that, that to me was the last kind of era where, right. where it felt like there was a subculture, you know? Okay. Um, 
I think I, I look at metal now. I mean, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> you know, there's definitely going to be a metal scene, but <clears throat> I feel, I feel like you know, I, I, all I ever wanted to do was go to gigs. I mean, me and yeah. Joe, me and Joe and Jay used to go to like Manchester when we were like fucking fifteen on our own. Yeah, you know, to see like to see any band that we could. It was like. You know, I remember you would walk through town, and do you remember under the Radio City Tower, they used to be the yeah. box office. Yeah. They would, would tell you what bands were on. I remember walking, and you'd walk, and you'd be like, where's the metal one? Where's the metal one? Bang. And yeah. I will go. And I just think now, you know, I don't know if kids want to go to gigs as much. Because, mm. you know, I mean, you mm. know, people say, like, you know, you can you can watch, like, gigs on YouTube, and I'm like, <laughs> that's not the same. You know, I, I want to stand there in yeah. the sound check when they're doing the kick drum test and feel my chest feel like it's going to burst open. Yeah. yeah. But, listen, listen, you know, let's put it out there. Yeah, just so you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, Dan, but on the internet, there are several sites where you can see uh, pornographic acts. Apparently, <laughs> they're out there. You can log on and you can see pornographic acts. I'm pretty sure that the actual thing of itself is better in person. I'm pretty sure the act of sex yeah. is pretty is better in person, you know. I mean, I've forgotten that's what that's thing. like, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing is, is I think it's born from um, a knowledge base. So you went to see shows, you were either took by your parents or your friends or whatever, and you remember that. You remember being in a pit, you remember holding onto the rails, you remember all that stuff and the, the house lights going down and all that craziness, and you remember that. And you, that's part of your how you ingested music. Now we've got people who grew up in an era where that isn't didn't happen, so they never went to a show. No one dragged them to a show, as shit as it may be. So now we've got to convince the the the, the next sort of group of people that this is the things that you got. We have to we have to almost drag them by the hand to a show and go. This is the things that you you can't get on the internet. You can see a video of, but you can't get. You have to be in real life. Yeah. Think, you know what what is a better feeling than seeing a band you like live because I, I can remember mm. right i remember one of the <laughs> i'll never forget this one of my, my dad took me and joe and my other mate side to see the chili peppers right this was okay. in 2002 okay so the chili peppers supported by james brown right? i saw that i was at that show um, yeah, James Brown. Support to James Brown. That James Brown, the Godfather of Soul, not the second cousin of Soul or the Milkman of Soul. The Godfather of Soul yes. is supporting the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Wait, there wasn't there a band as well that was supporting them, and they got fucking mauled, didn't they? To the point where I think either Anthony or Flea had to say during their set. I think it was John Pashanti. I think John Pashanti. Oh right, so John Pashanti. Like, okay, yeah. I think he was like, you know, this isn't. cool like you know you need to kind yeah. of respect artists but i remember me, me and joe must have only been about 14 mm. and i think we i mean joe me and joe joe always loved the pit joe was like a pit yes hound you know yeah, yeah, yeah. i remember um that was that was the biggest crowd i've been in at that point yeah because it was in, in a main like, road wasn't it it was yeah a, yeah. yeah which it is was a football stadium football. for those known the way it was mental you know mm. and i remember that was the first time I ever crowd surfed, right? Right. Okay. And I remember, but I mean, the main reason being, I, you know, I'm not the tallest person, so I remember just being like, "Oh my god, like I can't see shit, and I'm roasting hot, you know." So Let's I remember get out. this guy next Let's to me. Get up and out. Can, can you just like launch me up there? And I remember <laughs> this guy just picked me up and 
fucking I'd fucking watched it as the kids say um, <laughs> and anyway and I remember like just thinking this is the best feeling ever yeah. and, I, and I remember um, you know when like the, the you know like the security guard rags you down from the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and I remember him looking at me going how old are you but then but then the funniest thing was um i mean to be fair looking back my dad probably should have been like listen you're too young to kind of go on that pit you know on your own but you know two 14 year old lads we just were just like fuck off do you know what i mean like yeah but i remember i remember joe lost his shoe (laughs) (laughs) and i always remember him walking back to the car like limping because like the car park was like gravel (laughs) (laughs) he lost his shoe (laughs) amazing and that's what see those stories now at the time i'm sure joe was like fuck you know but i'm sure that you now it's a fond memory and sometimes sometimes so many good memories you know i think we have to remind this this generation that maybe are aware that the live music thing is it's it's a whole experience. It's the going there. It's the the, the hours before. It's the yeah. it's before the band comes on. It's not just a whole watching of the band. It's afterwards. It's all that kind of thing. You don't get that with a live stream of a band's hour show. It, it's lot. It's desanitized the whole experience. It's removed all the personality from it. I think I think as well. You know, the thing, the misconception. I think because I remember a lot of bars started to like you know no pits and all this kind of thing yeah and I, I always remember going like you know anytime i fell over in a pit i was yanked up within like yeah a second. yeah mm. like people don't people don't realize well especially with metal you know mm. i think people see the mosh pits and they see the kind of like because if you watch a band like lamb of god yeah occasionally you're just gonna randomly fucking scream because you just you're just gonna be like oh you know yeah it's awful, it, yeah. It's, metal to me is it's about aggression and it's about kind of event for yourself. To yeah. kind of just, you know, it, you pour your emotions out in those kind of like songs. Yeah. And I think um, yeah, I'm massively biased in saying this because I've been a metalhead so long. I, I think I've never seen a community like the metal community mm-hmm. in other genres of music because, you know, it's that kind of, it's, it's not the norm, is it? Every metalhead at some point said, that one person go, oh, it's just noise. Yeah. It comes up, it come, whenever I appear on, on other shows that are not metal-centric, I'm always kind of, um, there's all, yeah, there's always a kind, like I was on the, the Get Into This live stream, and I, it, there was a lot of things that I, I felt I needed to say, listen, it's the pit's not a negative place, and when we're screaming, it's cathartic. It's not negative. Oh, it's not. Yeah. It's a power thing. It's it's powerful emitting of energy. And I, what a great what a great fundamental concept to have in, in the pit as as in life is if someone falls down, you pick them up. What a I, I, what a I've never had any issue in the pit. Never, never, never. I've, I've I've clocked a couple of hands and a couple of elbows and stuff like that, and, I got, I, and that's I just, fine. I got knocked clean out in a. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why you know that you know you know when pitting started to become like this like swinging your legs around and all that shit yeah yeah like yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember catching a fucking foot right in me nose and just being like <laughs> dumpf gone but i think you know being what what's really interesting now being in a country band which is like you know other side of like the realm yeah yeah you know, i i think 
people who don't know me as someone who was in a metal band or listens to mm. metal. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think if you look at me and I've got like longish hair and I have like a nose piercing and things and tattoos, but you know, I've always been quite a good singer, not metal singer. You know, kind of what most people would consider singing. Mm. And it's always funny when I listen to metal and the, the 99.9%, the one thing that they always say is, but you can't understand what he's saying. Mm. And I always come back with the same answer. It's like, it's not important. Yeah. It's, it's in metal. Don't get me wrong. You definitely, and you'll know this as well, you develop an ear to understand what they're saying. It just gets yeah. better over time. But yeah. it's like with Cannibal Corpse, right? Mm. You don't go to a fucking Cannibal Corpse gig to listen to what he's saying, right? Yeah. It's, it's the vocal delivery. Mm. It's the aggression that you listen yeah. for. And I think, you know, if you're not into metal, I guess that's kind of a hard thing to understand because it, it seems inaccessible at first. You know, yeah. There's no narrative, you know, particularly given to you on a plate. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's just a but guy it's, screaming. It's in many ways, you know, and I'm just about to compare Cannibal Corpse with Miles Davis, but I'm going to. Um, every couple of months, I will listen to Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. Um, and the reason I do so is to realize that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that is a piece of, of a masterpiece of work. I know it is all the musical scholars all over in the same way that Beethoven's fifth is, or any of the Paganini's caprices are. I know that they're works of art and they're genius. I don't understand it. It's a bit musically dense for me to get in, into, but I've got a pretty good idea that it's pretty good. I don't know why, and I'm learning slowly why it's a good thing, but I'm still learning. When I first heard Cannibal Corpse, it did. It sounded like noise until I kind of unraveled it and figured out kind of what was going on. And what was going on, and I, I, on, I did a podcast yesterday with a gentleman called Callum Smith. He's the lead singer of a band called In Depths, and they're very slipknot, very extreme, very aggressive. And one of the things that I put to him was the... The aggressive sounding parts of a vocalization made within a metal song are the same as in a doo-wop song or something like that. And the, the, the example I give, or not, not necessarily a doo-wop song, but the example I give was I Feel Free by The Cream. And the reason I selected the song is the, the main melody of that is the is the them singing, I think it's Jack Bruce is singing, uh, bum, 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 bum. So he's not singing words. He's not singing words there. He's singing the melody. He's just a cappella sort of singing along. Dum, 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 da, dum, dum. All extreme vo- vocalizations are doing is taking that and distorting that. It's the vocalization yeah. is just a part of that. It's an effect. It's a technique. Sometimes in a song, yeah, sometimes you want to know what, what the, the person's singing exactly about. But how many times has people heard Hendrix and misquoted a Hendrix song? You know, it doesn't. You know, it's only when you go back and you can un- unpack it that you'll get into it. But for the purposes of that performance, it's a technique to get the idea and the power and the energy of the song over. Well, I think as well, there's a in in the age of kind of you know where where popular music has gone, there is a there is a need for a narrative now. So like, yeah. you need you need to be spoon fed what the what the song is about, basically. And mm-hmm. I think you know. It's probably one of the one of the many reasons why classical music's kind of you know in the doldrums of musical yeah. society now because there's no words and I think mm. I always especially with younger students you know I try and put them onto like instrumental music because say for example you know 
You know, I was in a Genesis tribute band for years, right? And I think yeah. if you were to take your average person and go, yeah, listen to Supper's Ready, a song that's 23 minutes long, right? Yeah. And it's got words in it at various bits, but there's massive sections where it's just music, right? Yeah. And you can tell that their attention span just switches off. As soon as the words go, it's... it's, it's yeah. And I think, um, I mean... That, that's very generalized you know i think probably... it's a pretty good no i think it's a pretty good uh, uh, approximation of what's happened i think it, that's born i believe from from the 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 internet and technology where now you someone's going to listen to a video for maybe a mere second i sort of thing yeah which was now i think it's on youtube but it might be on on facebook or whatever it may be where when an article comes up so it says this article is about whatever crop rotation or whatever it may be and it tells you how many minutes it is to read that article. It takes seven minutes to read this article. Who the fuck has got you know, sitting there going, oh, well, I'll have to make sure that seven minutes of my yeah, time is good. No, our attention spans have been reduced because yeah. of this, because it, you, you only listen to a song. If the riff doesn't immediately grab you, it's like skip to the next song on Spotify. It's yeah. like our, our attention spans have been absolutely destroyed. But I think there's hope. So. Uh, it's interesting you say that just quickly. I have made a point recently in this kind of lockdown. So I live right by Sefton Park. So now every day or every other day, I'll walk around the park. And literally now I use it as a chance to listen to an album in full. And yes. I'm kind of I'm being strict with myself and being, I can't skip songs. Yeah. So if there's a song I'm not really into, I have to just fucking grin and bear it. Cause like, yeah. Yeah. You owe it to the album, you know? Yeah, it's the artist. Yeah, yeah, and I think that. Yeah, it's that kind of like that's what's kind of sort of damaged us a little bit. And I, but I think there's a solution, or it's, I think there's there's possible there's there's something we can move with this. So, for example, the average podcast now, my average podcasts are about an hour to two hours long. Joe Rogan's goes like three hours long. Kevin Smith's two and a half hours long, and people are still listening because they realise that there is weight in having these long discussions about things. There's there's weight. But the, the reason I say that there might be a, a workaround or a solution to this is back in the 60s, uh, when when the, the sort of three, four-minute pop song was coming up and being put out there, there was moments in all of those songs where there was experimentation and interesting stuff going on. Take something like, you know, Jimi Hendrix, and he's releasing a song, or, or the Beatles are releasing a song. And although, like, you know, take, like, Day Tripper, it's like two and a half minutes long. Um, but all, but what they're kind of doing as well is that the back door, interesting ideas within there as well. I think yeah. that there's room for that five minute, four minute pop song. As long as we make sure that within that, we are still pushing the realms. What's, what's being happening is the, the, the realm of the pop song is being used as a safe space now where it's like, okay, well it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, whatever, whatever. We should go back to the days of when you would release a song and it was challenging, you know, even though it was in that format, you know, we can still do that. We've just got to kind of, I mean, I suppose the interesting example here is Bohemian Rhapsody, which is like, you know, a really long, complicated, challenging song, but it had to be kind of, you know, Kenny Everett had to kind of constantly play it and you had to constantly listen to it to break open its doors to now become a classic than it is. It's worth the effort. It's worth the time to see those seeds bloom. And Bohemian Rhapsody is probably the best example of that. When you first hear Bohemian Rhapsody, it seems like utter madness. Now, 
every part seems to make sense. Why wouldn't that be an acapella part? Why wouldn't that be the work when you put in to music and listen to an album, listen to an artist, it will bear fruit. And sometimes you might not get it on the first pass. And for the most part, most great music, you don't get it on the first pass before think, it starts to bloom. I think as well, <clears throat> I think the main issue with kind of, I'd say, popular music now is, you know, it's, it's, it's throwaway. It's, yeah. it's created to last a certain amount of time mm. to the next thing. So there's no kind of like, there's no depth to it, you know? Yeah. I think, um, you know, <clears throat> at the risk of sounding like elitist, I think, you know, I, I think it's better to listen to stuff that's going to challenge you. And I think yeah, to make you think, because, you know, I'm reading, um, I'm reading a book at the minute called Fahrenheit 451. Yes, and yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've read the book. Yes, Great. yeah, yeah, it's, it's superb, yeah. You know, and, and there's so many things. I mean, the book's written in, like, the 50s, you know? And yeah. It's that kind of, like, you know, dystopian... Is it Ray Bradbury? Is it Ray Bradbury? Yeah. yeah. But you know, I read it on a whim because, like, I've always been like a a massive reader, and kind of, you know, just so many people like, yeah, I'll just give this book a read. So I was like, you know, fuck it. Well, and like, honestly, you read it, and like, there's so many parallels to like Mm. now, like this, this whole thing of you know the dumbing down of the, and I say this all the time, and you know, sometimes I feel like I'm that crazy person (laughs) who's entering his thirties. Yeah. who's just having a quarterly, a quarterly, you know, fairly life, <laughs> life crisis, you know? But it's true, like, you know, I look at, like, TV, like, oh, my God, the amount of, like, like, my sister, for example, right, <clears throat> love it a bit, was super close. She's my best mate. However, she would never, ever, ever watch television with me because she, like, would watch, like, Love Island or, you know, like, me and Chelsea. <laughs> and I'm sat yeah. there. And I'm watching it, and I'm going, how the fuck do you watch this? This yeah. is like, this is television for people who mm. don't want to think. And, yes. and you know, I'm, you should never tell people what they should and shouldn't like. But I kind of think it, it does worry me that, like, there seems to be such a a lot of people, like the, 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 the masses, who kind of, you know, just, like, eat this stuff up. And, like, I think... Mm. You know, as a society, we you know, look at technology. Technology is moving insanely. However, I think on a societal and a social level, mm. I think we're kind of, like, downgrading, even though we have, like, Facebook. Mm. And, you know, there's a guy, uh, I saw a video, um, called Simon, 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 Simon something, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> Simon says, though, that um, he talks about how people don't build proper relationships anymore because you know it'd be like you basically clarify and surmise whether you like someone based on a photo and you make a decision whether you want to engage with them by swiping right or left you've removed everything from like the kind of i mean or the awkwardness of like hi you know like yeah yeah. that that awkward first conversation where you just chat shit yeah but, but that, that's how proper relationships are built. And I think the same thing applies to music. Like, mm. you've got to engage with it and give yeah. it time and let... Because, you know, you, I, I don't know who, who your favourite band is. My favourite band, if I were to say, in metal, would be Slipknot. And okay. it was purely because I sat there for 
hours and hours yeah, yeah. listening to it yeah. over and over and over and over again yeah. to the point to the point now where like you know I listen for like Iowa I, I feel emotional yeah, yeah. well it's I, 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 what you what you're talking about there is that when people often talk about um the when you when you're in your formative years of learning uh, of listening to music um and you'll kind of have a particular album that you'll kind of put on heavy rotation because it's the only album you had you only had like one album so that's that's all you listen to and it becomes these formative years of kind of building musically what you like and 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 as time goes by you, apparently it, so science says you sort of lose that apparently and it becomes harder and harder for some music to kind of infiltrate your, your kind of wall of your will of of what you listen to it's interesting that you talk about Fahrenheit 451, so to give a quick skinny to people who haven't read it or aren't aware of it, essentially it's about a guy who, who plays a fireman, if you will, and um, it, one of the things he does is he burn all books. Books are no longer uh, allowed, and what he finds is he finds like a commune, if you will, of people who have memorised books, so Moby Dick or whatever the fuck it is, classic works of, of, of fiction or whatever, and these people will recant these things, will will, will talk these books and kind of and and they're referred to by their their whatever book they are. So it's like, oh, that guy over there, he's Moby Dick. That guy over there is Robertson Crusoe. You know, and they're referred to in, in that sense. And what it, what's interesting is that, I, and I talk about this a lot, that if we don't kind of look after the scene and look after music, it will be taken away from us, and it will be kind of reduced to industries churning out music, what they decide we should like rather than people going this is what we this is what i think we should like um, well, and always, that's kind of people, happening people you know like say for example you know amongst the kids that i teach like the teenagers they're always amazed if i don't like ed sheeran right like they can't fathom that like it's yeah. possible to not like yeah. something you know yeah yeah awesome. yeah yeah but you know did, think, so did you did, let's let's just scroll back there a sec to you when you when did you decide then to to teach guitar when does that move happen well i mean i've, I've been teaching kind of like periodically from when i was like 18 you know what i mean just kind of odd lesson there yeah. you know kind of thing basically when i left uni i worked in the home office for two years because my mum worked there worst two years of my life sold australian <laughs> job you know the kind of <clears throat> I worked in the immigration department and, you know, casework and all that kind of thing. So you have to do X number of cases a day. And then, you know, literally all these people who, like, have these horrendous lives going on just become, like, numbers, you know. Yeah. Um, long story short, I started gigging a lot, like, on Matthew Street and that kind of thing. You know, really, like, really starting to gig, like, three, four times a week for fucking hours, you know. Yeah. Um. And basically, I just couldn't get into work on time. <laughs> so I got fired. Um, okay. And around, literally, I think, like, the day after I got fired, Chris Everett sent me, um, like, a good friend, you know, Chris, mm. he sent me um, he sent me a thing saying, all right, dude, I've just seen this advertising in the post here, in, like, the paper, and it was a, it was an advert for the shop that's still working now that they were looking for a guitar teacher. And I had this moment where I was like, because the, the place where I work, like, the, the ironic thing was they were offering me, like, another job immediately, you know, um, just in a different department. I had this moment where I was like, do you know what, fuck this. Like, I'm be arsed doing this job. It's like, I think, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to waste my life doing something I don't like. 
Yeah. So basically, I uh, just took a risk, started teaching at the shop, kind of full time, and you know it was very very slow at the start. And then just over the course of the last five years, it's, it's grew and it's pretty much what I do like all the time. Not that well, I, I was gigging until until yeah. this year. You know, <laughs> I, I think I, that's I, a, a, a nice story, though, that you say, you know, you took a chance. You know, you, th- you know, I, mean, I, I was the party that thought, I'm not qualified to teach guitar. Did you think to yourself, yeah. I, or, or did you think, I've got enough in my bag now, I think, that I can? Uh, I think, you know, you know, I, you know I, like I said before, you know, I know guitar players who I have said, you know, start teaching, you know, like, yeah. uh, we have a lot of, we have mutual friends who I could say the same thing about, you know. And there is, a, there is a moment where you go, you, you overthink everything, you know what I mean? You kind of think, oh, what what, what if what if I get someone like Jack Gardner coming in, you know? You can hear me. Give me a second. Hold on a sec. Uh, it keeps coming, cutting in and out. Sorry. I lost you for about a minute there. Can you hear me now, yeah? Yeah, good. Yeah, all good. So, so basically, like, you know, I, I had, um, what was the last thing you heard? Um, you, we were just talking about being qualified to be a guitar player, and you thought that you maybe had some stuff, you know, you could do. So, so basically, like you know, I, you know, I, I, I have this conversation now, looking back with like people who we both know, you know, I'm going to name people, mm. amazing musicians who are apprehensive to kind of you know take that kind of lunge into self-employment and stuff. Yeah. But I am, um, you know, I used to think like, shit, what if like. What if like a Jack Gardner walks in? What the fuck am I gonna teach him? You know? Yeah. yeah. And you, you kind of go over these things, but then you know, I was at the point where I've never been good at doing stuff I don't like. You know? Okay. Yeah. I don't, I, so with the home office and stuff, if my heart's not in it, I, I'm not gonna get. I'm not yeah. Gonna even, I'm not even gonna yeah. give like fifty percent. You know? Yeah. Um, so it was one of those. I just took a risk, and the first first few lessons, you know, I was nervous and stuff, but. You kind of just realise that, like, the majority of the people who want lessons are shit. Yeah. And, like, and the, the reason they're there is they want you to make them better. Yeah, it's um, the whole point. Yeah. And, you know, I say, I say shit, but that, I don't mean that in a mean way. You know, the, yeah, um, they, they're, they're not good at what they do, so they've looked for a teacher. That's that, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I always remember, um, when we talk to, talk to guitar teachers, I'm always reminded of the, of the thing of, uh, of Randy Rhodes being off tour and booking in to go and see guitar teachers. And yeah. I just think to myself, fucking hell, you know what I mean? This is Randy Rhodes, and he's and he he walks in, and you're like, what the fuck are we going to teach him? But he was willing I, yeah. to learn a different thing each time. I, I firmly believe, like you know, I, I look at my play now, and I still have, in my opinion, such a long way to go. So so yeah. much that I want to unlock, you know. But yeah. I, I look back over, you know, I think you know, I had lessons with Neil Mellor. I've had yeah. lessons with Jack Gardner. Rick Graham, you know, all of them like provided me with something that, you know, I've moved forward on and kind of built upon, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. Well, it's like Neil. Neil always is is say that like you know that you're never gonna you don't finish guitar playing. It's not like right. I know everything now about guitar playing. That's it. Now I'm a guitar player. Here's your badge. Off you go. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's a constantly evolving. That's what makes it so brilliant. And, and, and it's I think a constantly evolving thing. I think the most important thing as well is, you know, I've had students, for example, right, who who have lessons with me, and then they go to me, they go, hey, do you mind if I had a lesson with someone else? It's like, no. God, you no. You should do. You should exactly. do. Yeah. 
but there are there are people out there who you know i've had it in the past where i've had teachers and then when i've gone to someone else they've been off with me you know like the the ego kind of comes in but i'm like a firm believer of like open as many doors as you can yeah the more knowledge you it's like with music you know i i I couldn't just listen to metal you know what i mean like yeah yeah. i i I need you know i'm a massive fan of country music i'm a mass i mean i I probably play more acoustic guitar now than electric at the Mm. minute um you know so i'm massively into like you know john mayer massively into john mayer love john mayer's playing yeah but also like classical music you know and you know i also kind of like really fucking weird music well um, the, the misconception especially amongst some guitar players is that if you listen to do anything other than your chosen genre which is ridiculous when you think about it but when you only if you don't listen to anything other than your chosen genre that means you're almost pure if you will like whereas listening to something else somehow dilutes what you're doing it just doesn't it just doesn't and in fact as a guitar player i often learn something that wasn't either designed for guitar or something that is not really something i would normally play and you find that what quite often happens is it informs your actual playing so if you think like think about country is is a brilliant example country and metal aren't that far away they're not that far away so you think about Dimebag Daryl, some of the stuff he was doing, bending-wise, definitely alludes to country. Zach Wilde, 100% alludes to country. Some of, the, some, some of the best players, guitar players I've seen, are country players. There's some fucking unbelievable players out there, country players. Think about John Five. John Five is, you know, metal guitarist du jour. Fucking huge. Yeah, he player. Yeah, yeah plays a Telecaster too. You know, you think that, uh, the, the metal world isn't 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 closed bring in these influences and let's kind of you know work with that so when when do you think someone should start getting a teacher when when do you think so i i just picked up my guitar when should i start getting a teacher before i even pick it up or where i, I would say it, there's a balance i would say i would honestly say get lessons as soon as you can right um i think Here's the thing, though. Right? I think anyone who's going to become a good guitar player mm-hmm. will do it on their own as well. Yeah. And I think that there's a, you know, I look at all the guitar players. You know, they've had lessons kind of dotted here or thereabouts. Yeah, the majority of it's been their own drive. And I don't think having a guitar teacher will make you a better guitar player because your teacher could be shit. You know, right. but um i think it's a balance i think you should have a teacher if there's something you really want i think if you in the beginning for kids especially i think teachers are, are, are massive you know yeah i mean obviously if i ever have children myself i'll just teach them myself but i do think at a young age like you know i teach some kids who like yeah you know, I've, got, I've got one girl who i teach uh, i've been teaching her since she was five and she's 10 now she's brilliant like, yeah. absolutely brilliant but yeah. i think I think if she wants to then become even better, I think when you get a little bit older, when you get into like your teenage years, you have to have that drive inside you to, to yeah. want to yeah. want to do it. Yeah, you know, you, it's not be, a case of you, you, you book go to guitar teacher and you suddenly that's yeah. it, you're going to be great. It doesn't work like that. I think the, for me, my favourite teachers, I've had quite a few guitar teachers in many different styles as well. The best ones were merely. Um, gatekeepers or signposts to stuff i was yeah. like 
Why, why yeah. does this work? And he's and they're like, oh, okay, that's the that's the you know Eddie Van Halen uses the Dorian mode. Here's what a Dorian mode looks like. Okay, oh, I get it now. I understand. You know, this is how this relates to this, and this is how this relates to that. And they become kind of signposts and, and move you along your own journey. Is it, is it's, 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 the best teachers I've had? They're the ones I found kind of work. And the, the truth of the matter is, is that all the work is is still with the player themselves. You've got to take these things that these people exactly, tell you yeah, exactly. and really enforce them. You can't just go and only play when you're at the lesson. You've got to put, as guitar players call it, you've got to put the time in the woodshed. You've got to really kind of put that time in. I think the two, the two teachers for me kind of, you know, Jack definitely, you know. Like, yeah. There was never a time where I left Jack's where I didn't feel like inspired to pick up the guitar and great player, just, you know, great player. And then probably like the the main one was Rick, Rick Graham. Like, yeah, Rick, Rick Graham's kind of uh, for those that don't know these names that were thrown out here. These are people you definitely want to check out. They they are probably the best players, you know, certainly in in the country, I mean, Rick, make the world Rick's, and stuff. You know, oh, Rick is. Rick's the best guitar player I've ever seen. Phenomenal. Like, the amazing thing about Rick, the amazing thing about Rick is that he is fabulous and technically gifted beyond reproach. That is un- inarguable. But he's got a wonderful demeanor about how he presents the things that he's doing. But he also understands, like, he's got he's a really great songwriter as well. He's such a, he's very much a complete guitar player. There's an, they all have websites and they all have things that you can sign up to as well, which I suggest you do. And that raises an interest, an interesting question there as well is, where do we stand then when there's a wealth of information out there on YouTube and on the internet about how to play the guitar? How do you kind of, how do you kind of draw up a plan for yourself do you, with, with the stuff that's on the internet? Is, is this good and bad on there? Obviously. This is a good question. You know, I, I think it also ties into like, you know, what, what's the best way to practice? You know, that's a hard <laughs> question because there's so many, there's so many techniques for example you know um one thing that i you know i've started doing more of is actually making like a lesson plan like a a practice diary almost kind of thing yeah you know every guitar player on earth is guilty of right i'm gonna sit down and practice this and then fucking 10 minutes go by and you're playing blues licks before you know it you know you're in noodlesville but um i think you know, like you said, if you go on YouTube, there's so much information. Yes. Guitar-wise, there's... I, I, I personally, I think, you know, if you're a rock guitar player, mm. I mean, you've got all those Paul Gilbert DVDs that have been ripped to yeah. YouTube. You've got yeah. all those all those guitar licks and REH. Like, the Star licks ones and stuff, yeah. 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 They're all on there. And let's be honest, like, you know, he, you know, that's the stuff you want to be good. If you're a rock player and you want to get better, like, yeah. for example... Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd highly doubt you're gonna find anything better than like Paul Gilbert's Hot Licks videos. Yeah, all that old um, Wolf Marshall stuff. Remember him? Yeah. yeah. But I think in terms of like theory, because I think this isn't because that to me is like a completely separate thing. You know, theory and technique are two two arms of the same kind of musical body. But, mm. um, you know, people like there's, there's a channel Jens Larson. He's like a, a jazz yeah. kind of guy. His videos are fucking brilliant and like really easy to digest i think i think the one thing that you got to realize is you know every guitar player is kind of looking for their own thing aren't they mm-hmm. if you are a guitar player who just wants to learn songs like simple chords you know you've got your marty whatever his name is marty schwartz you've got your yeah. justin guitar 
they're going to be sound, you know. I think, mm. I think the one thing I, I think you do have to be careful of is there's a lot of like people who aren't very good on YouTube. Well, this 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 is a this is probably another one for another show at some point. But this kind of leads into uh, that the what I'm talking guitar. about, Craig, the fake guitar yeah. stuff. Is that you can see someone going, learn to play like me, blah blah blah, blah. and but what they've done is they've actually constructed that video and think, and it's I fake. Think, you know, I think with 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 that whole thing, I remember Craig talking about a video um, that he watched and thought it was amazing, and then then you know was mm. was uh, later found out it was fake. That video he's talking about is ridiculous. Like, mm. absolutely ridiculous. It sounds shit. It doesn't sound real, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, Jack made a very good point. Jack said something like, you know, if if you are editing this in a musical context as a compositional tool, yeah. sounds fine, you know? You yeah. Know, that you, can't, you can't argue with that, you know? But... Like, there's people like, I can't remember the guy's name, Manuel Gardner Fernandez, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I'll be honest, like, you know, he he refuted a lot of the things that, like, were thrown against him. But you watch his playing in, like, like recent videos, it's not the same. Mm. It's not as fast. It's not as clean. Yeah, yeah. You know, all these people getting called out. I mean, I I don't think it ruins the scene, per se. But, like, Mm. you know, I think with the Instagram age and like the, you know, everyone's, everyone will only ever upload that perfect take, you know? Yeah. 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 Where I think we've had a wave of it kind of, cause it, there was a wave of it getting called out and Jack did a fantastic video breakdown and quite a few people have been doing some really good, some good stuff with it is that we've had that wave now where now when people putting up a piece of guitar music or them playing, there will be that second where they'll go, if it's fake, I'm going to get called out, so I might not put this up. And I think that's enough. I think that's okay now. I think it, it definitely has in, in, infused some people's playing and what they've been putting up recently. But I think it ties into your the point you said earlier about, you know, the sometimes the guitar scene can be so kind of like the vitriol and it can be a bit like overwhelming. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. People are scared to upload anything with a fucking mistake in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> or, I think you know, that's... Yeah, one one of the things that, that it's interesting bringing this all the way around in many ways is that in the guitar group that we were talking about at the very beginning, there's a couple of things where someone's put a video up and gone, okay, excuse the mistakes or that I flub the B flat on this or whatever it may be, and most of the community's gone, it doesn't matter, it's a, that's amazing. You should do. There was a, a video that you you put up of a girl playing a solo. I think it might have been to. Uh, Shania Twain song and it wasn't a technically crazy guitar part well, it wasn't te- you know it was fa- fairly academic but it was played really nicely great and, and, you know? and the, the yeah. best thing about that whole bit I mean, you know obviously I know Vanessa very well she's one of the best mates like yeah. I just like seeing people play guitar you know what I mean like, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't necessarily care how good they are I just yeah. Like knowing that there's other people out there who fucking love guitar. We are, we're, we're, we are most definitely here. Like, yeah, you know? there's a whole so community. Like, so when Vanessa put that video, I mean, I had to literally. Vanessa was like, oh, I don't know how to put it. It's like what you're saying, you know. Yeah. You know, like everyone in that group's just so good, and I'm like, just put the fucking video just, up. Just put it up, like. Because I never, I never, I only ever really made that group just, just to talk about guitar and share guitar. I was never. Yeah. 
it was never going to be like a dick swinging competition of like you know yeah yeah here's yeah one shred, here's one shred video here's yeah yeah, yeah yeah the best thing about that group is every week i never know what people are going to post yeah it's fascinating i did that thing where you put up the sheet thing and everybody kind of went away and tried to play that was brilliant that was great and i think long may that continue as we we're nearly coming up to the two hour mark here and so as we kind of (laughs) sail past that where where are we at now yourself then so musically what are you up to now how uh, with the lockdown and without the lockdown how's that affecting you i mean you know so right now um I'm in a, a country Americana duo called White Little Lies. Um, it's going brilliant. Just released an EP. It's I, I never considered myself a songwriter. I always right. considered myself a guitarist before a songwriter. You know, songwriting wasn't. I mean, well, I guess you could say I was songwriting in the institution, but uh, that kind of romantic notion of a songwriter writing words and chords. Yeah, and beautifully that, crafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that definitely came to me like later on and i think now um that's when i'm happiest you know like, i don't i don't ever envisage myself being in a metal band again i can definitely see myself playing metal i'm always yeah i'm always playing metal and i'm always learning yeah. metal songs i don't really have the desire to be in a metal band anymore um yeah. but right now the kind of the country thing i'm loving it and i love being in a band with vanessa you know just harmonies and fucking all that good well, stuff. one of the things that, that, that strikes me about with with the project and i, I put this on, on one, more than a couple of posts is it sounds like it, it's just it sounds like full of joy it sounds like it's coming from a place of of of, of joy you know and if that's very difficult to get across musically being is a happiness and a joy that and it can only come from i would i would say it can only come from someone who's happy with their playing to, to say they're being yeah. happy themselves it seems like you've got you're, you're in a good place and that's well, think, awesome the music i think with the songwriting thing i think one thing i had to do which was quite difficult was i had to i had to undo that metal way of thinking where you know you know like you, you strive for like that, that complicated riff or that fucking weird mm. time and, you know, yeah like, you know, crazy like, counterpoint yeah, stuff yeah, or whatever yeah yeah like you know i love i love like bands like Meshuggah, and you know where, like you just yeah. listen and like do you listen to a groove do you don't understand but your face is yeah. just contorted and like yeah oh yeah like, oh. <laughs> i had to undo i had to undo all of that because yeah. you know i had to kind of get into the mindset of like just writing like a good song you know yeah. I, I, had to, I had to undo all the kind of like you know uh overthinking you know yeah. like and, and yeah. accepting that a good song could be three chords you know that was yeah that's probably the hardest thing because the playing side of things you know it's not so much an issue um yeah because like you know like fuck, i've done i've done covers gigs like four nights a week five nights a week now for years you know like the mm. i've got me chops for that kind of stuff so yeah it's more you know piecing together and i think being in a country band and especially working with vanessa it's made me almost kind of go back to square one and be right. like in in like a songwriting kind of process, you yeah, know, cause like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I I listen to people like um like Billy Joel and like I just listen to and I just go like how how do you like just yeah, yeah. put that together in such a way? Yeah. And I think you know, like for me now, I'm really starting to enjoy songwriters, yeah. apart as apart from bands, you know what I mean? So yeah, they're really like Simon and Garfunkel, massively yeah. love Fleetwood Mac are probably one of my favorite bands ever now, like. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've gone backwards, you know. Yeah. These were, these were never bands I was listening to in like my teen years. Mm. It was only when I got into like my twenties where yeah. I started going, Oof, what can I like I've I've not listened to this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like Eva Cassidy. I remember listening to Eva Cassidy for the first time mm. just being like What a voice. Fuck. Yeah. You know, I mean granted, you know, she never wrote anything, I don't think herself, yeah. but she I would argue her versions of songs are like as original as the original, you know. Yeah, it's, somewhere over it, the rainbow and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, it, you know, and you know that kind of like Queen. Queen are my favorite band ever. You know, yeah. they, they'll never be knocked off number one. And I think, I think I listen differently now that I've been songwriting for a few years, and I listen to how it's pieced together. And you know, fucking. Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it interesting that the first kind of album you listen to when you don't know anything or so much is queen greatest hits and now 20 odd years later you come all the way yeah. back and it's still yeah. there well and i think you know that that album specifically the, the greatest hits too i remember because one thing i've always been really good at was harmonies it was just one of those that used to piss me dab off you know, uh, magic ear for them yeah it, yeah it, it i don't want to i don't want to sound like you know like big headed but I, I always just could sing the harmony, and I remember yeah. it got to the point where my dad would be like, "Just don't sing in the car," because whatever he was listening to, you, you would harmonize. Yeah, I, I would harmonize it without even like thinking about it. You know? Yeah. And, and my dad would be like, "Why can't you just sing the fucking like <laughs> the main bit?" But I remember listening to songs like you know, a kind of magic, mm. and you know, like just those. It's a kind of magic, magic, yeah. magic, magic, and all those like yeah. just. Awesome. The world opening up. Like, yeah. Uh, I remember it makes back. sense that you gravitate towards country. Country's got like the the, the, the best harmonies as well. Those oh, yeah. girl singers. Uh, I am, I am, just amazing. Yeah, I am completely weak at the knees when I hear a good harmony. So yeah. like bands like Little Big Town where there's like four part harmonies. Like me and Vanessa saw them live. And honestly, uh, of any I'm, gig I've ever been to ever. I think it was just this kind of moment where I was like, in my musical life, this is where I, this is where I belong now. This is yeah, yeah. And you know, um, like a big part of like our, the duo that we're in is is harmonies. You know, it it's is. A, it's massive. Yeah, it's a wonderful song. mix. It's a wonderful um, balance of voices, of textures, of voices that I I, I enjoy the most. There, I, I, I'm a big fan of that. A big fan of kind of complimentary stuff especially if there's two guitar players or there's two vocals yeah. i like the but interplay there i think it just it, it it becomes more than the sum of its parts as as good music should do i think you know i, I do have a good voice singer but i think my voice on my own is nowhere near as strong as when i'm harmonizing with vanessa i think there's something right. about when our voices click together mm. there's a really nice kind of cohesion there and Something more than the sum of its parts, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think... Um, That's what I enjoy the most about it. Well, but, I think uh, with, with Vanessa as well, I think that the, the what Vanessa really brings to the table... Like, Vanessa's not, like, the world's best guitar player. She's really good, mm. but she has this ability to write, like, an absolutely unbelievable chorus. Yeah. You know, where, like, there's been times where she's like, I've got this idea, but I'm not too sure of it. And, like, she'll send me, like, a... Like a a shitty WhatsApp, you know, voice memo, yeah. and I'll listen to it and just go, "How the? Where did fuck that come from?" Yeah, and I'm singing it for like days. 
Excellent. What a what a lovely way to to end that. Like all this kind of, it feels like we've just played a set. It feels like we started <laughs> off all kind of aggressive and like fucking yeah, and you're pitting, and then we're at the end now at the at the post orgasmic chill, if you will, and sitting there going. We're ending with the ballad. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to get Daniel on again, right? We've got to get Daniel on again. There's so much to cover. Um, I would suggest checking out everything Daniel does. Certainly, the guitar groups and forums that he's curated and most definitely I know there's going to be a lot of the metal heads on it, but I do know that there's a couple of metal heads who listen to this show who also love their country as well. I know, and I know they know what I'm talking about. And I suggest checking out those other projects that, that, that Dan's involved with as well. Cause they're fabulous. And that's what music is. You listen to everything, take what you want. And you know, it makes it, it make it might make you metal heavier. Who knows? Um, but ladies and gentlemen, thanks for, thanks for coming on, Daniel. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to this. So I've enjoyed it. Great conversation there with Daniel. I think you'll find this, what I was saying at the beginning hold true. There's a lot of interesting stuff there, a lot of things that you maybe you don't get the chance to kind of really involve and talk about someone's whole approach to music as much as, as, as you do in the shorter ones and the longer ones like this one. You really kind of go and find kind of really what that person is about, what their musical uh, sort of outlook is as well. I will post links, as I always do, within the, the podcast show to... Uh, Daniel's various projects and, and I would suggest checking them, them them all out absolutely superb and I think we'll probably get Daniel on again we should most definitely do that hopefully you notice that some in some small way the quality of the show um, from an audio point of view is improving I still will say air a lot and I still will say kind of a lot and trying to get past that but dang, that's me that's how I speak that's, that's how it really is um, the, word, the next show after this is a great one This is the next show is going to be Callum Smith from In Depths uh, extreme metal vocals and that type of thing. We really kind of delve into that, and that's a good one for the vocalists out there who want to listen to that. Really enjoyed that one, and that's going to drop on Thursday. And then Friday will be the uh, Facebook Live show, which we'll see what happens and see how we get on with that. Lord knows. But uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. As always, share and share a like with everybody you think will enjoy it. If you can stop by at the Facebook Live on Friday at 8 o'clock, that'd be great too. And as always, when we get to this, I will see you at the show. Bye.